0: Every culture that wears flip-flops, their feet are collapsed and flat and awful. In every poorer country where kids are barefoot, their feet are righteous. I mean, righteous arches, righteous toe splay, righteous, righteous fascia-driven springy systems. And so it's it is interesting that uh, you know our footwear is 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 a reflection of sort of who we are and how we get how we get there.
1: Welcome to the Moveable Podcast, where we interview using education, movement, and play from around the world. Here's your host, My Daddy, Brian Way. Today's special guest is a coach, physical therapist, and two time New York Times and Wall Street Journal best selling author. He's the co founder of the Ready State, the world's most comprehensive collection of guided movement mechanics, and mobility instructional videos. Today, we're going to be spending some time talking about another project of his called Stand Up Kids. And you can also sign up for his virtual mobility coach, 14-day free trial at thereadystate.com. Kelly Starrett, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Where do we begin to start pulling at this Gordian knot of child development, man? It is. I'm so glad you're doing this.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I know that's that's my thought too. Where do we even begin? There's so many messages that I want people to hear, but where do you even start with it? That? That's the tough part.
0: Well, I tell you, let, how about this? We say for a generation of people were like, we lost, we we messed you up. I'm sorry. Yeah. Do over. Like that's one of the things we need to do. Right. And yep. then secondarily, I think we need to start with the appreciation of who who owns this, who owns this problem, who's going to own it. And if my, you know, I like to say that if my Ch- children's teachers are sophisticated enough to teach them algebra and handwriting. They can teach them movement skills too. I mean, I, I don't know why we've you know separated that out. And then we I agree every, with a reading specialist, but we still read there's a you know math specialist. We still do math. So mm-hmm. I, this is our chance to really completely reframe the issue. And if there ever was going to be a good time to be a PE teacher, potentially it's right after the COVID shutdown where everyone is like, Oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. You know, my my children, my children, you know, don't move at all anymore. Like, you know, it's, it's really interesting time we're living in.
1: Yeah, I agree. And so many, I'm seeing so many different dynamics at homes now and just in our area, but especially around the world. I mean, since this started, I've seen more families together outside moving than ever before. So I'm hoping that in itself is a catalyst.
0: Well, you know, one of our good friends is a, is a incredible Olympic lifting coach at a, at a, you know, he is an Olympian, an Olympic coach. And he says, you know, I think it's an old Nelson Mandela statement, but it's like, we either win or we learn.
2: Hmm.
0: And right now, I don't think anyone's winning. Are you, who's winning right now?
2: So, I know exactly if
0: that's not the case. And what are we learning? And, mm-hmm. you know, how about this? There aren't enough bikes in America right now. Wow, mm-hmm. that's pretty powerful. You know, know. school doesn't start at seven thirty anymore. You know, kids mm. aren't flying out the door. Like you know, there's some things that we should take out of this, and you know, we are seeing in our you know we live in the up against some open space that hasn't been closed down, and people are able to be, stay safe and walk. We've seen mm. so many families walking, as you say, and we more importantly, and also importantly, we've seen a lot of families of color walking, Latino mm. families, Latinx families, and yeah. that usually wasn't the case, you know, Juliet and I have lived in this neighborhood for 10 years in this little place. And, you know, the outdoors was a domain of, you know, upper middle-class white people, Hmm. you know, out here in terms of accessibility. And so some, something has changed and people are realizing, Hey, you know, what we are doing in this shelter in place is, and it's a valid, it's a valid um, consideration when we're talking about public health, you know, i my grandfather was a microbiologist and ran a big health department my mom's a psychologist my my father's a physician my grandfather's a physician i appreciate how difficult public health is but Mm -hmm. we were what we've exposed is that as families and as communities we were poorly set up to be self-resilient we don't know Mm -hmm. how to exercise we don't know how to exercise our kids our children don't know how to cook for themselves right? Mm. We, we don't know how to have a regular bedtime and to self-soothe. And, and some of that is just buried in the harriedness of the day. And so I think, you know, uh we have this incredible opportunity to hopefully carry out some behaviors after this that are, are you know, sustainable. And w- amongst them is uh appreciating how great school is. And even my kids are like, I miss school. And I was like, ha! Ah!
2: I knew it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, I, I just kind of going off what you're just talking about right there. I just saw Carl Powley Pauli- made a post the other day about how soon will we forget and i liked all the different things he said in that post like how soon are we going to forget how nice it was to live a simpler life how soon are we going to forget about all these things that are going on that are that are actually good things that are silver linings during this pandemic and are we yeah. are we going to go right back to where we were before
0: and you know uh, carl has with his excellent book freestyle you know the richness of just body weight control coordination play activity Mm-hmm. Really, a you know a key word, I think what we 're seeing right now is sort of the falling apart of high exercise physiology exercise management driven movement and activity that 's sort of okay that 's gone, so mm-hmm. what are we left with? Well you know, what can I do with a dumbbell? How do I use improvised stuff how you know what where do my what, how do I have move my kids move their body enough you know mm-hmm. i 'll tell you is that I think there 's some interesting outcome behaviors that we haven't considered. One is, we should really examine this thing through the full lens whenever we can. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not trapped in New York City, which is very difficult to get enough vitamin D and sunshine and, you know, some windows don't open. And on the flip side of that, we have a generation of kids who aren't overtrained for the first time in their life, who've actually had real hmm. no rest. So I wonder, and and I'll balance that out with, wow, if you know we have kids who've been sleeping and who haven't been in year-round sports for the first time in the history of the United States, mm-hmm. um, maybe we'll see a drop in injury rates. Comma, we may, will we see an increase in injury rates because the volume train, the delta in training volume is going to be a big deal, and that is the number one yep. predictor of injury on the. The number one predictor of injury is previous injury. <laughs>
2: number two yeah. predictor
0: of injury is these radical changes in swings in your in your training volume and little kids yep. um, on the side. So, especially when we've seen some detraining, significant detraining happen, where um, kids just aren't moving and loading. And you know, and, mm-hmm. and the game for kids is loading. It's yep. loading. You have to be loaded. They have to jump and run and jump and pull and land and jump and twist and and they, mm-hmm. and then if you think you've done enough, you get to start the game over tomorrow.
1: Yep. Yeah, those are all great points. Especially going from like some kids going from sedentary to all of a sudden, like you said, full blown back into sports again. That could be, you know, I think some of our kids,
0: I think some of our kids were sedentary before. So Harvard defined sedentary True. behavior as sitting more than six hours a day. So yep. you know, it doesn't matter if you smash yourself in the in the CrossFit gym or you go to the SoulCycle for an hour, you're still sedentary. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing it, uh, was that we had a real mismatch pr- before this happened between environment and organism. Right. So that, um, you know, whether we're, you know, looking at simply at sleep, you know, we know that the minimum adult sleep levels between 17 and 65 or seven hours, that's below seven hours. And you are in flight, fight or flight mode. You're not thriving.
2: Mm-hmm. Eight
0: hours is our cold minimum. We suggest nine hours if you're active, nine hours. Yep. And that's sleep. That's not in bed for nine hours. But yeah. if, I, if I went back into sleep journals, which don't exist, but I did and your children prior <laughs> to the close down, they were not getting eight hours of sleep. They were sub yep. seven and the sleep quality isn't very good. So and
2: they're know,
1: sympathetic I, all the time.
0: Whoo, so we, we have some, what we're seeing is suddenly we peel back lack of movement. We peel back the very minimum movement that we were getting was just enough to keep the, the wolves at bay. And so here we are suddenly, uh, we are at least are sleeping more. and Theoretically, maybe cooking more. We're eating less fast food potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and but kids aren't moving enough during the day. It's just it's difficult to go out there and minister enough. And and mm-hmm. one of the things that's happened, I think there was even a New York Times article about it recently, or Wall Street Journal, where someone said, "Hey, you know, my kids are getting more homework than I had in grad school."
2: Yeah, and, overloaded. And,
0: that's right, and and you know we have to crush our uh, sixth grade daughter to finish her homework by three thirty. So she and I have to kick her outside. Otherwise, you know, just two working adults, sisters in high school. She's self directed, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult for her to stay focused. All of the tasks that she'd have that would normally be built in, and still go outside and be a human. So mm-hmm. um, it is tricky, and I think we've peeled back the layers on the fact that man, we are not a very robust society. And when we looked at the, the the communities that were really affected by the disease, by this virus, it was c- communities with high diabetes rates and high obesity rates, high sedentary rates. Mm-hmm. So were predominantly communities of color and lower socioeconomic status. And so what we saw was it's like one of those IKEA furniture tests where <laughs> the machine just tries to wear out the chair through a, th- a billion oscillations. Yeah. Well, we just accelerated, you know, decades of, of sort of epidemiologic research by seeing what happened when we unleashed uh, a virus into communities that were particularly susceptible. And so things yep. that were really going to pop up, you know, I don't think people understand that That we think, I mean, climate change is real and it's going to be have gigantic problems.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Cannot deny that. But the hidden the catastrophe of failing a generation of people in terms of you know their insulin sensitivity and activity. Mm-hmm. When you and I went to high school, the chances of us being diabetic was one in four. I and mean, then you know better than anyone else. The chances now or excuse me, one in four thousand now the hmm. chances of being diabetic are one in four. And if you're a Latinx male, it's two out of three. And if you're an African American woman, it's two out of three. Wow, so, that's terrible. You know, what they say twelve percent of America right now. Is does not is not hypertensive, overweight, diabetic. Twelve percent doesn't have one of the comorbidities. So, again, if we go back in time and say, "Well, where do we where who who teaches you to sleep? Who teaches you to move?" This was the goal of home ec to teach kids to Mm -hmm. this, right? And and as we keep slashing uh crucial programs like activity in schools and, mm-hmm. PE and 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 you know try to chase some tests or save some money ma'am I'll tell you we're just passing the buck on and it's going to blow yep. up our prices again and again and again
1: mm-hmm. I agree and you mentioned earlier you talking about kids sitting for six hours a day and you guys have started or years ago you guys started a foundation called stand-up kids where now you offer stand-up desks really to combat that right
0: well, the the goal I think people misunderstood. It's not sitting versus standing, right? Because I'll tell you, the research of standing still for long periods of time is difficult. And if you've ever told a kid to stand there and don't squirm, I mean, the worst thing yeah. you can do is have a kid face the corner and not move. Like, ah, yeah, yeah you know? right. But yeah. what we did was, you know, I fi- I think what we should do is appreciate that the the goal is to remove and try to imp impact sedentary behavior. So Mm. a sedentary behavior is defined as any movement behavior that falls below one and a half metabolic equivalents. So if you stand up, you're immediately above one and a half metabolic equivalents. If you sit down, Mm. you're below one and a half metabolic equivalents. If you perch on a stool without touching the back, you're above one and a half. So the goal here is to try to get as much movement and loading as we can and a Mm. environment that's constrained for an, uh, an outcome which asks kids to fidget, asks kids to move, at, gives kids permission to sit on the ground, change feet, put one foot up, lean against the stool, lean against the desk. That is a recipe for real body mass index change. And it turns out that's what the research s- supports in the, from the University of Texas and dark, Dr. Mark Benden's work that in the course of, we basically kids add one to two percentage body mass index points every year. So okay. we just get fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter. So what's hmm. happening? And what we see is that in two years, the kids who were at had movement choice trended downwards four body mass index points. So what okay. we saw that's was the kids were potentially going up four in two years and the other kids were going down four. So that's a delta wow. of six to eight body mass index points over two years with zero intervention other than giving a, chi- a child a choice not to sit in a – I mean, do we l- Let's – let's – step back for a second. Do we all wear the same size shoes? Yeah, not at all. Do we use the same, wear the same size clothes? So Mm -hmm. why is the furniture all the same size? Right. And why is it conducive? Well, it is completely an artifact of our, You know, 19th century British hegemony, you know, like the weapons of mass instruction idea, (laughs) you know, it was an easy way to make factory workers and and clerks. And that does not match with, I mean, we are all about science these days. Everyone's like, science, show me the science, science. I'm like, well, the science is that you cannot learn unless you move. The science Mm -hmm. is that young developing bodies are weaker, run slower Fail every balance test. So let me give you a grade on what we're doing currently. And and again, I think if if we went back in time to the good old days when I walked to school both ways <laughs> and carried my backpack which weighed pounds, that's right, that may have just been enough activity to hold the sedentary times at school at bay. Mm-hmm. That's the difference, right? Is that we had a metastable system. And all of a sudden, click something changes, i.e. technology, and then we see the house of cards. So mm-hmm. you know, we see that you know, giving teachers the choice, and ultimately when we go into a school, it's one classroom at a time. It's the teacher's choice. They're the functional unit of change. And the only negative feedback we've ever had with over 100,000 interventions is teachers are like, well, I get through my curriculum a little bit faster than I used to. Hmm. So I had to generate more curricula to solve yeah. this problem. <laughs> That's and, a good problem to have. And parents and teachers call us and say, you know, that Johnny was not in the principal's office this year. And I don't know what's going on. Well, I'm like, what's going on? He's not a, like a nervous trapped animal in a little spot where he needs to fidget. So, yeah. you know, I, I, the key here, I think, is, you know, we're about to do our first long-term study. If school starts again in the fall, mm-hmm. uh, through California Berkeley School of Public Health. And we have three Tier uh, Title I schools. And we're looking at different interventions. And one of the interventions is a lot more activity tracking as well, encouraging activity outside Mm. the classroom, more behavioral health interventions. And then we have a single classroom, which is just sit to stand.
2: Mm. And then
0: the third classroom is no change. And, you know, I think what we'll see is that we're going to need to take a much bigger multidisciplinary approach and that this may just be one aspect of it. But I think this is now an issue of national security and social justice and we mm. should be swinging around those words and we should be outraged and and yeah. you know and not saying it you know it's not in my backyard it is in your backyard it's your school and it's your workforce and if you're think you're listening to this cuz you have a kid mm. 100% of these children will come into the workforce and 100% of these children will be on your health your business's health insurance and like a plaintiff's attorney you find the plaintiff where they are so if you hire the brightest mind but that mind is diabetic you're going to pay for those costs and if hmm. someone has a surgery or a low back pain or, I mean we're seeing it like I'm like when we go to the military sometimes I say well what is it you care about yeah and they like, oh, they're like the health of my soldiers I was like no what do you care about they're like it's so expensive when someone goes out on injury I'm like so if if one navy seal costs you 1.4 million dollars to keep in the field right that's the training cost for that person that's a, that's a multimillion dollar asset. Yeah. So isn't it better if they don't have this stupid knee pain or low back pain, if you could yeah. improve that and keep one person, well, we have the same conversation with police and fire. We have the same conversation with, you know, what we're seeing is we're, if the, when we started thinking about this problem, we were doing talks at big corporations like Google and mm-hmm. I speak at Microsoft and Amazon. I've been, I've been to all the big corporations, Cisco. But what really stuck with me is that I was working in the NFL, and one of our NFL coaches said, you know what the real problem is? All these high school kids are, or college kids are broken. You're like, oh,
2: Hmm. oh,
0: college kids. So you go to the college coaches. Yep. Aaron Wellman, who's not in Indiana but has been at the Giants and you know everywhere else, he's like, you know what the problem is? Twenty-two of my high school, twenty-four All-Americans had knee pain doing mm. an air squat. It's these high school kids, and you're like, oh, it's the high school yeah. coaches. And then trickling down, high coach, yeah. And then you know, I'm like, well, when does it start? Yeah. Who owns this problem? So yeah. we should be outraged. And I dropped the f-bomb on purpose there. Trying not to ever swear on on podcast, <laughs> Dude, it's not working. And it's yeah. not, the, it's not the PE teacher's fault. It's not the English teacher's fault. We have to reimagine the entire structure so that we have kids who are ready to go because mm-hmm. right now we're failing a generation, a second
2: generation of people. Generation of people
1: yeah. My wife and I were just talking today about this topic and we were talking about how what would it be like if instead of schools investing thousands of dollars into chromebooks for each student even at the elementary level what if they invested in a much cheaper option in like a pedometer or a fitbit that kind of thing where the kids can track how much they're moving throughout the day i mean well
0: wouldn't that be and so everyone would brag i mean yeah. you know I, we i'm trying to get someone to make me a really cheap movement tracker that just has 10 lights and you get yeah. one light every, and it does it's not it's not not connected you get one light for every day and reset it in the morning one light for every thousand movements reset it in the morning right yeah. so we're gonna be like show me your lights kid and like <laughs> oh johnny you're gonna die today you only got one thousand right yeah. <laughs> and and appreciating that we don't ever have to play a perfect game every day we just have to play better yeah. than we did yesterday and i think one of the things you bring up is um we haven't done a good job of showing a test case so yeah. you look at Rainey's book um look at you know the school that you know the presidential physical fitness test was modeled on,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: What you see is we have to propose better models and show our results, and then people will become curious and say, I want that. But mm-hmm. what we can't do is continue to just someone's got us go first, right? Yep. You got someone's got to go first. So, what we're seeing, Brian, is that you're going first, PE teachers are going first. You know, what we feel like is if man, here's this elegant intervention where you could put desks that fit children. Each one is individually fit for a child and the child mm-hmm. knows. Yeah, We have never been into a classroom where the kid goes, Oh, it's too low. It's too high. Oh, that's it. That's <laughs> my spot. We're like, yeah. all right, here we go. And then when they grow, the desk grows with them. Right. Yeah. Cause as you know, kids grow a little bit yep. in middle school, little oh, little yeah. school. So, you know, I, I think if we, if we can make it so a single business adopted one classroom. It's about $5,000 to flip a classroom. One business, one classroom. How many businesses are there in the world? Well, right now there's going to be less, but you get the idea. Yep. And so what we see is that we can really decentralize this approach. And that's why I don't think we need to wait around for the district because there's real problems in the district. This is mm-hmm. trying to move budgets and, and funding and run the buildings. But They're this juggling is- a lot of things. This is a teacher-led intervention, and if someone can go up to their teacher and say, hey, I hear this novel support- inner thing that makes your classroom better, and I'll get it funded so it doesn't have to come out of your funding for your pencils things you're already buying, yeah. or it has to come out of the school's annual fundraiser,
2: mm-hmm. then we
0: can make this change. And My wife and I live that dream because... When we went to our local elementary school and pitched this, we started with a couple of test classrooms because no one had done it in the world. Mm
2: -hmm. And then our
0: child's elementary school, both our children were there, became the first all-standing, all-moving elementary school in the world. And we're in the seventh year now, and we have 500 kids every year who never sit at a desk.
1: Yeah, that's amazing
0: crazy. Even when I talk to the, the the dentist who does all the orthodontia around here, she's like, yeah, these kids look different on their mouths.
1: Hmm. Even
0: their jaws reflect differences wow. in development because they don't sit.
1: Yeah. Can you dive into that a little bit? What, what actually physically happens to these kids when they're sitting for so long?
0: Well, what we see is that there's a whole complex... Uh, field called sedentary physiology. So uh-huh. what we're seeing is you become less insulin sensitive. Your tissues, you know, kids are learning not to, to support themselves with their own musculatures where um, kids are growing really fast and in a constrained way where we can't normalize those, those forces. Um, it's interesting if we take a step back and we look, for example, at ACL injury rates, well, in the last uh-huh. 10 years, they've been up 400% wow. in kids under, in kids under 14. So what Man. happened? Yeah. So, you know, you know, what happened there? Well, there's got to be some thing. Has, has, has human biology changed? I don't know. You know, and if you ask the old coaches, you know, say, um, you know, how many kids in your high school tore their ACLs? And they're like, yeah, there was one kid, but it was like a fluke thing. And he was hmm. weird. and You know, I mean, it was so strange and yeah. so occult. And now if you go to a, a high school gymnastics team, every, I bet a dollar should us, every child in the in the women's program has already had a knee surgery so there's something going on with that Yep. and and so the real issue is what is it that human beings are supposed to do how are we what is it what are the cues and those are really simple cues like we we were supposed to walk somewhere between eight and ten thousand steps a day Hmm. right that that was just to decongest and load the tissues right just um we know we're supposed to sleep. We know we're supposed to eat whole foods. We know we're not supposed to be stressed at home, and we're supposed to feel like we're, a, you know, a member of a tribe and in community and be seen. Schools have really nailed some of those aspects beautifully. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't walk onto my kids' elementary, uh, middle school campus every child is greeted every child is seen yep. i mean like they have spies teachers are like oh johnny <laughs> himself again let me go you know yeah like you just you like people become really sophisticated about some of those psychosocial components yep.
2: being very inclusive but
0: that's right and really mm-hmm. really not the brutality of the 70s and 80s i think that we all have ptsd from yeah and, and then I go over to the, you know, we go to this, you know, my wife got into like some very, very heated arguments about the fact that Izzy is a soda because it has more grams of sugar than a seven up. And they were like, but it's fruit sugar, you know, hmm. and we're like, calories are calories and sugar is sugar. Yeah. And pizza does not have more, is not a high protein alternative for kids yeah. and snacks. So, you know, what we see is that we have a generation of, of parents who are very confused, about what is best practice, and let me give, let me make a really simple one: no soda is ever allowed on campus anywhere in the history of the world. It's like taking a gun onto
2: school yeah. like
0: You bring a soda onto school grounds, you're suspended. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, man, you will not see sodas on school grounds. All yeah. of a sudden, that's a behavior to be done at home. So, yep. and and if we want to get to the bottom of this, if you want kids to eat fruits and vegetables, give them fruits and vegetables. You want to eat, mm-hmm. you know, graham crackers and cheese hits. Bring crackers and cheese. It's—I mean—I know yep. which one I'm reach for. It's yep. you know cheap.
1: So yeah, it doesn't matter how many posters you put up in the school and how much you try to educate on it. If it—if that option is there, they're going to take it.
0: Yeah, and you know what's interesting too is um, you know we know our our all of the uh, and try to support all of the PE teachers,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: what we have is by the time kids get to middle school, it's very difficult to initiate a physical education program in middle school.
2: Okay. We, need
0: to, we need to buy in much, much earlier. This is what school means. We come to school and we walk a mile a day. Hmm. Britain has this thing called the daily mile and okay. kids walk a mile a day. You can run the mile a day. You can walk a mile a day, right? But at some point, what we need to do is reinstitute the standards of, of physical education, which are, are inclusive and it's about showing progress. Yep. But if you can't meet the standard, if... <laughs> by the age of eight, you know, the eighth grade, you cannot run briskly walk a mile in 15 minutes. You do not get to go on to the ninth grade. You know what we, and that is harsh, but that's not the start. We'll start with the younger kids and say that, Hey, when I go to school, this is the only time a day where I get movement. This is the only time a day where I'm fed whole foods. This is the only time a day where I'm taught how to eat Mm -hmm. and how to cook. And so what I think is if, children are wards of the state you know, during the day. <laughs> yep. Well, then we can make some different decisions about what that means around making more robust people. We teach mm-hmm. CPR first aid to kids. Why don't we teach them how to jump and land? Why don't we yep. teach them that, you know, this isn't, you know, everyone, every kid has to be able to swing a, go on the monkey bars, you know, jump rope and bear crawl. And, you know, and all of a sudden, man, we'll start to see a whole tide shift. And especially as you know, because one of the things that I would never be good at because I have so many friends who are good at who teach kids is gamifying the crap out of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I hate thinking in terms of games.
1: Yeah, I know. Level one, and level I'm, two.
0: I'm terrible at it. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm like good, good things my friends like Brian Lang are really good <laughs> at inventing games to make kids do things like squat up and down, right? Yeah,
1: I know. Well, you mentioned uh, like jumping and landing mechanics. I remember watching some of your videos from years ago when your kids were much smaller. And that was one thing I remember you talking about then was teaching kids the jumping and landing mechanics, squat mechanics. That's stuff they need to be learning when they're little, like when they're the age of the kids that I work with, right?
0: That's right. You know. And, and again, how much teaching is needed? Not. It's an expression of the system, right? This hmm. is what we do. Yep. Um, our friend Greg Cook had a really interesting example where he cut foam rollers in half. Those big, dumb, white foam rollers, right? Yeah. Tool noodles, basically. Yep. And then he had just kids balance on them. They played huh. around, they balanced, they had to walk, toe heel, they had to stand on one leg, and then they had to lower themselves down. And what ended up happening, because of the curvature of the half foam roller, kids' foot pressure is immaculate, because yeah. if you're on your toes, you fall off, and if you're on your heels, you fall off. And if you fall mm-hmm. off, you get immediate feedback that you didn't weren't able to complete it.
2: Yeah.
0: And what we do, and this is key, is that we remove all physiology, all tests of which are which are biased against kids who are heavy, against biased against kids who don't have parents who like to move. And it's all about skill. And skill mm-hmm. is learned and practiced. And physiology comes. So what we're really saying is, man, if we taught kids movement skills, like doing a forward somersault, you know, hopping in a bag, jumping on one leg, like mm-hmm. those aren't strength skills, those aren't conditioning skills. It's not about putting a ball in a hoop. It's about being able to control your own body. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, what you see is that it's egalitarian it's it's democratized you know that the kids who practice more get better at it and if we put start drawing and thinking in those terms and you know i think erwan lacour of move if you haven't been seen one of his gyms it's just no. a place of discovery and climbing and hmm. he's got beams that are suspended two feet and three feet off the ground so you can <laughs> crawl on them like monkeys and upside down and you know like and and really awesome. is it's a place where kids can play. It's, it's the, it's the 1970s playground, hmm. you know, but made safer because the edges are soft and they're on yeah. spikes and you're not going to, you know, jump 17 feet off the swing onto concrete.
1: Yeah. But uh, that key but, word you said there was discover too. I like that.
0: That's right. And so, you know, what we have is no sort of connection. So what we see is that, and our kids, our friends at pivotal coaching are doing a great job with this, but we see, Kids basically have no movement skills, and they're not exposed. They don't even have the tissue loading for it because they've never ex- been exposed to it,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? And then all of a sudden we're like, "Go play soccer!"
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Complex motor task, right? Yeah. And you know, and and if you don't believe that that's a problem, I will tell you that uh, you know Major League Soccer and FIFA saw this rash of ACL and lower extremity injuries and they were like, this is going to end our sport. So they started this, you know, jump land safety drill thing just to get kids the movement basics.
2: Yeah. And
0: so what's happened, I think, and we we like to think is while our kids are doing all these sports, that's enough. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough. No, right. No, no, we no. haven't prepared our kids to do these sports. Yep. You know, I have a 15-year-old daughter um, and I'll say right now that in the last, you know, 10 weeks, she has become a much better athlete because she's at home Olympic lifting mm. and working on body weight skills. And we've been able to pull her out of, you know, water polo, yeah. you know, and, and, and the demands of all that requires, you know, yep. five days a week, water polo, you know, and, and, and when she goes back, if that ever happens, she will be 10 X the athlete.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's, what's just crazy with all this stuff. I mean, even if kids are phenomenal athletes if they're one dimensional athletes where they just play that one sport all the time they're going to develop movement patterns and and habits that are for that sport so unless you're working on the other things like you're talking about they're not going to develop that i mean as yeah. a and no, we see
0: ahead. that and, and i just say i think you're absolutely right we see that if you work with kids i know i was working with this elite outside hitter in georgia's volleyball and she couldn't do a 2 foot broad jump she had to do a stutter step. I mean, she needed, wow. the she needed the counter movement in order to initiate the coordination. The, the most elite girl on the team couldn't jump up onto a 20 inch box. Mm-hmm. She was 12 years old playing. She was 13 playing elite volleyball. And I was like, you're not elite If you can't jump up onto a 20 inch box, yeah. like what are we talking about here? You know, yeah. she was, Man, she could hit from the outside. She did one thing over and over and over again. Couldn't do a plank, couldn't do a wall walk, couldn't bear crawl, right? But oh. she could hit this one side and because she had practiced that one thing. And, and that was what we valued and mm-hmm. for her and her whole experience. Remember, it's not her fault. Her whole experience was that if you're good at this one skill, and we haven't asked anything else of you, be good at that skill. And yep. then that's not her fault. That's our fault. That's on mm-hmm. us.
1: One of the toughest things for me as a PE teacher has been assessment. I've, I've really struggled over the years with fitness testing. Honestly, that's been one thing where there's a there's a number of different fitness tests out there, like you mentioned the presidential one, then there's the fitness gram, um, but you're just testing how many push-ups can they do in a row or how many sit-ups can they do in a minute, and you're just getting these results that don't give you any, any idea of the kid's actual fitness level, how they move, how well they move, and... What I've actually struggled with is trying to figure out how do we still assess these kids and give them a grade on their movement but not do that stuff anymore and not alienate the kids who, like you said, maybe at a different point in their lives developmentally and can't do as many push-ups as someone else.
0: Oh, and the push-ups that we do see, come on, they're not push-ups. Oh, no, they're, not they're, at they're, all. You know, and, you know, I, I you really bring up, those are such interesting points around, um, you know, one of our friends who is a well-known Physician has this idea called the Centenarian Games. It's like, what, what, what Olympic Games would I have? Peter Atia okay. throw him under the bus. He's like, what <laughs> games would I have if I was one hundred years old? He's like, and there were really interesting tests, mainly of physiology, like front's goblet squat, you know, twenty-five pounds, something like that. And mm-hmm. I was like, why wouldn't you give it context and meaning? And I think one of the things that we have done are such a poor job of, and that's a, a, an artifact of our education through sports science, sports measurement, and fi- classic physiology. Um, was that we haven't given context to this, right? Like, you know, what, what skills do we value? Like we think children should be able to do this. So it turns out if you can come up with those, those context related skills, right? Mm -hmm. Like we think you should be able to get up and off the ground and get over this four foot wall five times in a minute right? Then kids can, you know, how they solve that problem is totally okay. And, and sure. the technique is, is it will emerge out of that, right? We think that everyone should be able to jump on two feet. Well, here's a jump rope. Can you do a hundred skips in a minute, right? Uh, those are just arbitrary, not like it's pass or fail. Yep. Like the, the bars are low. Again, can you walk a mile in 15 minutes, right? Hmm. And if you want to run the mile and get, you know, and see how fast you can go, that's great too. But what we expect is to see change and to give context to the task. Yeah, turns out, of course, that kids who are really good at that stuff will shine at the physiology test too, Mm -hmm. right? You know, they're athletes. But, you know, one of the things that I struggle with is I hear a lot of people bemoan football, which is very complicated because of the head trauma. And, you know, mm-hmm. I got knocked unconscious two or three times during high school football. <laughs> I broke my hand. I chipped a tooth, dislocated an elbow, broke my wrist. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. that's, that's a child sport. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and uh, I thought it was great. And guess what? There was a kid on my team whose mom and dad called him Hillbilly Johnson. That was his mom and dad. His nickname was Hillbilly. And every teacher okay. called him that. And he self-identified as that. And it wasn't a derogatory term. And he was well-loved. But he was over three hundred pounds, but he was a member of our football team, and I remember him catching a, f- a fumble once during a practice and running sixty meters and barfing in the end zone <laughs> with a hundred kids chanting his name and the coaches pouting and everyone carrying him. And what we see is, you know, sport participation, activity participation is not optional. Is <laughs> reading optional? Is arithmetic optional? Is handwriting exactly. It's not optional. So. The question is, well, what's interesting to you? Do you want to do dance? Great. Do you want to do taiko jumping? Great. Like mm-hmm. what, what do yoga? Great. But what we have to say is we start to we start to have these lines where it's not, you know, you're gonna go to PE class and work your yourself on this balance of skill in a play game and you've got to pass the you've got to show improvement in this thing because yeah. you are smart enough to know what children should be at age 10 should be able to do, right? Mm-hmm. You should be able to hang from a bar for 20 seconds when you're in the fifth grade. Hmm. And we can build up to that. Like it doesn't matter who you are. Like yep. we, can, we, can, we can scale that and get there, right? And that's not a pull-up. That's just hanging, mm-hmm. right? And so you know, can you jump on one leg? I mean you, you, you know how low the bar is. And I think what ends up happening is we end up arguing about how do we assess the top 10%. Instead of sure. saying, well, how do we have more exposure globally? Yep. And, and kickball and shooting a basketball is not exposure, right? No. And then, you know, you can sort of get to the next question about, you know, what, what does the education look like? How, how, do, we, how do we assess what uh, – and all of a sudden, you have a very different look about what, what it is. And kids, you know, are maybe going to be exposed to the jump rope in the second grade. But they don't read really good, and then by the time I tell you, by the time you're eighth grade, it's not matter who you are. Like you can whiz through that test; that's easy. Yeah, you know. So, Mm -hmm. you know, do you remember Field Day? Field Day is such a good example. I love Field Day. Juliet and I volunteered Field Day forever, and we always volunteered for the for the for the tug of war. Yeah, right. Okay. And I also love the the sack race. But I remember one time we had kids who couldn't get into the sack. We had kids Mm. who couldn't do a double leg hop forward on it. and I was like wow we've just 100% failed these kids and that yeah. kids a straight, that kids a, straight a student but can't hop in a, with her with, with her legs together you know 10 wow. meters yeah. for the older kids in the 5th grade I was like hey you're going to stop and do a somersault and they were like whoa,
2: whoa
0: hmm. a somersault in the grass like how do I do that and they, yeah. they had kids who couldn't do that they didn't know how to roll they didn't know how to fall and again hmm. I I don't I think we all inherit these things and if you're lucky enough to have a genius PE teacher who said hey it's not optional to be act- active. So your choice about what you want to do, but this is what we're doing. This is yep. what humans do, right? You know, that's it. I think I think we're going to have to really be hard, Pew! or let's go ahead and accept the consequences that everyone is going to be diabetic and have real problems and not be able to enjoy their bodies, and that's on us. So let's exactly. let's completely own the problem. Mm-hmm. Soda for everyone. Yeah. <laughs>
1: One thing I wanted to make sure I asked you was, uh, about the feet and especially in kids. I've seen videos again in the past, like eight, nine years ago about that. You had one video where you're in the shoe store showing, Uh talking about some Vans and zero drop heels and everything like that. But I haven't heard you talk about that specifically with kids in a while. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on the importance of feet and footwear, barefoot versus sneakers and zero drop and all that kind of stuff.
0: Well, I think what uh, we should have, we should say is well we have this developing organism, right, mm. and for me, it's about exposure and input, so what are the what are the easy inputs? Well, you know, it turns out your feet are one of the most rich sensory inputs there are by design, two and mm-hmm. a half million years of gorgeous evolution gave you mm-hmm. your foot. I mean Leonardo said something about it, right, yeah. and uh, <laughs> or maybe it was, you know, and um you know, I think the idea here is um you know. The American Academy of Pediatrics said the best shoe is the least thick shoe that interrupts with the foot the least. That's the best shoe. That was their official position. And if you go into the market with that vision, which shoe is the least likely to change my child's foot structure? And imagine if part of being in gym was to be barefoot for an hour. And explore what your feet can do, crawling and balancing and feeling. And, you know, I went to a high school recently. I teach at a Windsor high school. And they were doing a unit on running. Mm-hmm. And I made every kid take their shoes off. They're really cool kicks. There's like a huge pile of, of Adidas Audi Stars in the middle, right? I mean, okay. they, you know, very popular shoe. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, we, uh, I, I took them through some foot drills and some squat drills and awareness drills. And we did a little running right in a circle. And I was like, okay, now put your shoes back on and achieved the same feeling. Hmm. And when I made it about feeling every single kid was like, whoa, whoa,
2: this is <laughs> awful. I
0: can't feel anything. Oh, my feet. I, what am I doing? These are all ah, do I have to wear shoes to class? Ah. <laughs> and that's great. I don't think they'd ever experienced
2: that. Yeah. And,
0: I didn't have to say anything. I just said, well, here's what your feet should be able to do. Can you do that in this thing? And you know, I'm like, well, put on your mittens and type, yeah, you know? And so well, really one of the things that's been a side effect of shelter in place is that we've seen people barefoot for the first time in their lives all day long. Yeah. And it has brought out all of the heinousness. My friends <laughs> who only wear high heels are like, my heels are killing me. And I'm like, well, not weird.
2: Yeah. Not uh, used to. It.
0: And if you, and there's plenty there now, uh, you know, Fortunately, there's a ton of really cheap kids' shoes that are flat. Mm.
2: Yeah. So the
0: first thing is flat. The second thing is like flexible and flat, right? Mm. It is it's what you should look at. And you don't have to you don't have to martyr your kids with some orthopedic shoe, you know. And yep. what you're seeing though is by the time we start to see the child develop and who has really weak, shut down, poorly sort of integrated feet, those they're looking for support. Enter the arch support, enter the orthotic, where the child doesn't know what a normal foot position is, and a parent doesn't know that it's not okay to turn your feet out, slam your arches into the ground. Hmm. And look, everyone has different heights of arches. That's okay. But we have never met a person who couldn't get their feet straight and also couldn't create some kind of arch. Mm-hmm. Once someone says, "This is how human beings," this is what human beings do, then every kid gets it from there on. Yeah. But it's a lot easier to prevent a problem than it is to put out a fire and rebuild the foot. That's a difficult task that takes yep. some time and significant intervention, and we shouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a study in, in Norway. Where kids did really well at school, and it's because they took their shoes off at the door. And hmm. I think it was an artifact awesome. of the snow, and the kids were just in their socks. The elementary school kids were in their socks, and that's how they were at home. There were no shoes at home, wow. so they felt at home, and they had all this sensor motor input, you know. And and as long as we fetishize Nike and the shoe, and you know the Steph Curry's,
2: mm-hmm. you know.
0: I think we're going to always be fighting that battle, but you know, again, you're the parent and it's, the choice is yours and it's okay to have kids take their shoes off. That's mm-hmm. completely okay. mean, yep. you know, if I had a classroom, I'd be like, take your shoes off, put them by your door. I'm sorry about your stinky teenage feet <laughs> and middle school feet. But, uh, you know, at some point we have to, you know, I even say this to adults. I'm like, Hey, have you walked a barefoot mile?
2: <laughs> and people are like,
0: whoa no oh my god my feet would explode i was like wow you're, really elite. <laughs> you're a really elite athlete i mean you know you're yeah. afraid to walk on the beach barefoot you're afraid to go you know what i mean and yeah and clearly you're in a gas station in the middle of the country put on some shoes right yeah. i mean you know, yeah. that, that, you know but you know once again i think this c- can easily come back to well what are human beings supposed to do and mm-hmm. and shoes enhance so shoes are a tool you know and i think when you look at it like i want my kids playing soccer and soccer shoes i want them olympic, olympic shoes. I want them. You know wearing the appropriate footwear, but then we are living flat, we are barefoot and living flat, and we don't we don't allow flip flops in our house, which is hmm. which is a source of tension for my teenage daughters, but the way it goes,
1: yeah, it's tough because that's the trend i I really liked what you said about it being easier to easier to prevent the problem versus trying to put out all these fires all over because I feel like that's exactly what you and I are trying to do as a whole with everything
0: <laughs> all the time and and uh I like even when we can just make an environment so that the organism has the right outcome without choice. And I, I think this is really the key. If you if you wanted, if you're listening to this, you've gone through this and you haven't gone mad, um, and you're a parent, just have a shoe-free household. Just as soon as everyone gets home and they take their shoes off. That's what our family does, right? So. You know, suddenly it's not a fight anymore. We just don't wear shoes in the house. So now I don't have to say be barefoot. We just don't wear shoes in the house, Hmm. right? That's that's an easy solution for that. Yeah. You know, and uh, hey, let's go walk around the neighborhood. Let's walk 400 meters barefoot every day. And and all of a sudden, I think what you see is, man, it really starts to be a simple solution. You know, when we we travel, every culture that wears flip flops, their feet are collapsed and flat and awful, and every. Poorer country where kids are barefoot, their feet are righteous. Hmm. I mean, righteous arches, yeah, right toe splay, righteous, righteous fascia-driven springy systems, and so it's it is interesting that uh, you know our footwear is 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 a reflection of sort of who we are and how we get how we get there, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, for many of us, you know, the surplus of calories is is absolutely a gift from you know that we're not food insecure. And there are plenty of us who are food insecure, and lots mm-hmm. of students are food insecure. But once again, if we're viewing the lens of where do we make this change, our our schools are a great place for that. Our workplaces are a great place for that. We can feed people. There's a really uh, amazing school nearby. It's a Title One school that has kindergarten through eighth. It okay. has a lot of homeless kids and. A lot of uh, generations of poverty and projects nearby, and they are standing now and mm. moving. But most of the kids get, get 100% of their food in the day from that school, two meals wow. a day. And I, what I, when they first told me that, I was like, well, where's the sack lunch to take home? Yeah. You know? like, you know, and they were like, whoa. And I was like, we're here. you got money. Let's do it. Let's give yeah. those kids a sack lunch. And, uh, you know, and, a red, you know, and it's the same, believe it or not, that we do with our elite athletes. If I want my premier teenage millionaire soccer players in the UK to eat, we deliver food to them. And what right. you think is, why am I delivering dinner to this teenage millionaire? Well, <laughs> if you want your teenage millionaire to eat vegetables and steak, that's what you deliver. If you want yep. them to go solve that problem and have a teenage millionaire tantrum, they will eat potato chips and pizza. So you yeah. just constrain the environment, and they'll always make the right choice. And I think that's what we we should be viewing now, is we don't have to make a thousand complicated choices. We have to make a few choices and then the, the organism, the human can have freedom in construct with inside that.
1: Yep. I agree. Well, before I let you go, is there, I know right now you just announced that you're working with Jason Kalipa. Is there, is there anything you want to talk about that you're, any projects you're working on right now that you want people to know about?
0: Uh, you know, this year we're going to try to work on a TRS uh, Ready State app for kids. Because oh, awesome. Myofascial work. And self-care is, you know, it's the domain of adults. There, My daughter has a, a shelter-in-place partner. She had one girl who lives in her neighborhood who's a sophomore, great athlete, who comes over and they train together. We just basically told our families, we need to break this quarantine for this, right? Yeah. So these two girls have been able to train together. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that she was having a problem in a body part. And I was like, well, what have you done for it? She's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, hmm. did you, you know, every elite athlete I know does all of these things. Have you done one of these 10 things? And she said, no. And I was like, well, then that's you choosing to have this. Yeah. And she went home and just did five minutes of rolling her calf. And she was like, my pain's gone. And I was like, isn't that weird how you were able to knock that ugly thing out in five minutes? Yeah. Wow. So, when we, when we start to appreciate that, you know, kids are smart enough to solve their own uh, fascial problems and just takes a very little input to make those changes. And right. that's part of it for self-soothing, self-care. And I think it's part of the first aid kit for the 21st century.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks again, Kelly. I really appreciate you talking with me today. And uh, My, good luck uh, with that app, too. I'm sure it'll be great.
0: Keeps laying. Uh, you know, everyone here, you know, we um, if you're ever interested in doing this, we teach. Our, our app and our site has a two-week on-ramp program. Mm-hmm. And the reason is we want to teach everyone for two weeks. It's free. And then you can cancel after two weeks, but you'll learn a lot. And if you just did those things with your kids, your kids mm-hmm. would – under. it's like teaching them how to brush their teeth or mm-hmm. wash, their, wash their face or wash their hands. It's super easy. One lesson a day for two weeks, and there you go.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's great to know. We'll definitely look into it. Brian, thank you so much, All man. right. Thank you, Kelly. Have a good day.